0: Previously on the Sports Refuge podcast. Do you feel like Hulk Hogan in the 80s would work now? They would fool him, man. They would fool him nonstop. Set your coordinates and lock in your location because it's time for the Sports Refuge podcast. This is the meeting place to talk sports, pop culture, and everything in between. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland welcome to the sports refuge podcast i'm your host earl holland each week i sit down with guests and discuss their connection to sports and whatever else comes to mind new york city is a place that offers a variety of activities and plenty of options for sports fans living in new york scott johnson is in that hotbed of sports action the self-professed new york jets and mets fan sits down with me to talk about his sports fandom Scott will also talk about why there are certain fan lines drawn across the city, what it's like to date a fan of a rival team in the same city, and how a Super Bowl provided a giant healing moment. We'll also talk comedy as Scott shares his experiences doing stand-up and his Mount Rushmore comedian. And now, my interview with Scott Johnson. Here this week's guest is a good friend of mine from college from the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. I know I've been doing a lot of these interviews, but I thought it's always good to go back and touch your roots and talk about the good old days. This is Scott Johnson. Scott, I know, is probably one of the most avid sports fans that I can think of. I remember Scott would come in basically every day wearing different attire of every sports team, and that tells you the passion that he has. Scott, uh, how are things going your way?
1: Things are going well. It was mostly the sports thing, and because that's what they were wearing back in the days. Knock out two birds with one stone.
0: I know you're talking about being a sports fan. How many jerseys, if there is an estimation do you say you have?
1: Over 50. I don't know exact number because half of them are in storage right now, but it's like way over 50.
0: Do you remember the first one you ever bought?
1: Oh, the first one I ever bought. Actually, the first one I ever bought was before I went to college. My mom bought me a Michael Strahan replica Giants jersey. I still have that jersey, but that was like the first jersey I bought. And all of a sudden, I just fell in love with the different designs of the jerseys, the different logos, the different colors.
0: What is the most unique jersey that you have? I've seen you with football ones. I know you have a few baseball ones as well. And I think you have a couple of hockey sweaters, I believe. But what is your most unique one? One that I guess people who know you wouldn't expect that you would have.
1: Well, it's an interesting question. The most unique one that I have that my fiance hates was the first Phoenix Coyotes hockey jersey. You know, the old one with the coyote holding the hockey stick and all those weird patterns.
0: Oh, yeah, the one that looks like a Picasso painting.
1: Yep. That was probably the most unique one because she just hates it. Like Every time I wear it, she has this look in her eye like she wants to burn it.
0: Do you have any soccer jerseys? I'm not sure how avid of a soccer fan you are.
1: Well, I'm not that avid of a soccer fan, but I have one. I have the, I want Messi United. Uh, when my mom went over to England, I said, hey, if, as long as you're out there, could you see if you could grab me the soccer jersey? Because soccer is like God out there. And this is a pretty good red jersey with Chevrolet on the front.
0: What are your thoughts on jerseys with corporate sponsors? I know that especially you see it in international soccer and it's slowly starting to make its way towards the United States and some of those pro leagues. What do you think about that? And I had always thought that having those designs on there, you get away from having those advertisements on there. You end up getting away from the designs of a lot of those jerseys.
1: Well, I'm not a particular fan of a constant reminder of, Hey, Cheer for our team, but remember, buy Chevrolet. Because I know they're doing it on NASCAR. I hear NASCAR fans say they've been doing this for years. They have advertisements all over their car and everything, and that's fine. But the WNBA, you know, it's not a high-revenue stream, so you can understand why they have the teams advertise on them. And even this year with the NBA, they have advertisements. Like for the Golden State Warriors, they had what was it, Redbubble or something? Or... They had like a red R on there. It's like a lot of these companies we don't even know about. It's not like the, you're going to see Apple or anything. Like Orlando Magic, they have Disney on their shirts. The Knicks, they have Square Equinox. I don't even know what they were. I guess, in my opinion, it kind of takes away from the game. But because we were so used to just, it's just the jerseys. There's no Chevrolet, no advertising. It was just the jersey, and I guess time to change it. Everybody's trying to make money now, and I can't knock someone trying to make their money.
0: Yeah, I just like noticed looking at the Cavs, they have like a little Goodyear logo. I believe Goodyear is like right in Akron, so it, it helps when you have basically Akron's well had at one point Akron's favorite son, and lacrosse promotion works well. What is the favorite jersey that you have?
1: I think it would be right now the Mets jersey, the one from 2015 because that was the year they went to the World Series. That is probably the most favorite one I have right now. I mean, I have a whole bunch of them, but the one that sticks out to me is because it's not just the jersey like the other jerseys. It's because I'm a Mets fan and it meant more to me when they went to the World Series. That was the same jersey they had that year, so it kind of needs a little more than the other jerseys I have.
0: Living in New York, you are basically in probably one of the hotbeds of sports. The only one that probably would compare to it, maybe Chicago, definitely LA. But living in a, basically one of the biggest sports hotbeds, what is it like, especially having so many different outlets, there's two NBA teams, two NHL teams, technically two NFL teams, two baseball teams, and a whole bunch of other things around that. What is it like being there? For
1: Avid sports fan is like 365 days of joy, unless your team sucks, then it's 365 days of hell. But it's weird, like, when you're a New Yorker, you can't just be both a Yankee and Mets fan. You have to pick one and stick with them. I stuck with the team that's not doing too well, but, hey, that's the point of fan, you know? it's You can never get those inner rivalries. My fiance is a Yankee fan, I'm a Mets fan, she's a Giant fan, I'm a Jet fan, so... It's like, it makes it more interesting, but it's always hot topics. It's always people on the verge of burning down the whole city if one thing's going wrong. I can remember fans talking about the Yankees, not realizing they're a good team right now, but they was like, oh no, they're not doing enough. Oh no, we need to fire them. It's like, everything's a touchy moment. And this is by far the difference between big market teams and small market teams. Big market teams, you have that pressure like you need to win. If you don't win, if there's not a championship parade, it's considered a failure. Small market teams, if you make the playoffs, they'll throw a party for you.
0: Living near Philadelphia now, before there was pretty much a sense of when are we going to get our win? When are we going to get our win? When is everything going to turn our way? And then things started slowly changing with the Phillies winning that World Series, and then the Flyers doing well. And then the whole trusting the process with the Sixers and them starting to turn around. And then after the Super Bowl win for the Eagles, I honestly thought it was going to sort of be like a Boston type arrogance that would have shown up. But honestly, it seems like it's been fairly subdued. They want to win more, which there's nothing wrong with. But it seems like it's been fairly subdued. But then again, I don't go into Philadelphia that much. And I haven't been listening to a lot of talk radio that much. I know everybody's sort of still on the Nick Foles for president banner and campaign. But so far, I think it's timid, especially knowing the reputation that, fairly or unfairly, Philadelphia fans get.
1: I think the difference between Philadelphia fans and Boston fans is like, New Yorkers, they won't really mind if Philly wins but if boston wins it's just like they will never let you live it down when you have the patriots going to the super bowl every other year and you have the red sox doing well before they wouldn't dare talk with the brass that they do now but you had the bruins winning the cup you had the patriots winning five super bowls you had the celtics winning and now you have the red sox who not only broke the curse but just straight smacked it around for a few years so i think it's that arrogance that boston have it's weird i was in boston a few months ago and in the airport they have all the banners of every championship that city has won it's just crazy like they, they just throw it in your face philly they're more like oh we're waiting for another shoe to drop it, it never happens with us but now that the Eagles finally got over the hump and finally got the championship, like, hey, let's just enjoy the ride.
0: I know you're talking about the other shoe to drop, and it just sort of made me think, especially it feels like with Philly, that whole symbol of everybody gathering around Rocky statue after the Super Bowl is like probably one of the most symbolic moments for sports fans. I don't think there's anything very
1: comparative. There is one, the Cubs. You can say Philly waited 50 years. Cubs fans like, oh, that's cute. That's real cute. But you had people crying, and this is like before the Eagles were just like, uh, we didn't even pay attention, unless you're an avid football fan, about the Eagles never winning the Super Bowl. But we're talking about a Cubs team that's been around for over 100 years. Everybody knows them. They call them the lovable losers. You have people who live and died and lived and died, and they never seen it. The moment that happened, Everything came full circle, like all the suffering over 100 years. I think that was probably one of the greatest sports moments, championship moments out there. I mean, like I said, Philly never won a Super Bowl. No one really knows about that. Everybody knows that the Cubs haven't won one in 100 years.
0: Oh, I think everybody knew about the Eagles never winning a Super Bowl. If you've seen the on social media, the memes of Eagles Super Bowl ring and there being a picture of nothing in plexiglass that I think a lot of people... Especially people no, I, in the NFC East.
1: Oh yeah, they knew. But I'm talking about before social media. Like we all know, before social media, what did you hear about more? The Eagles not winning a Super Bowl or the Cubs not winning the World Series?
0: I would probably talk about the Bambino curse before the Cubs. And think about it, going back to 2003, where both the Cubs and the Red Sox were in the LCS, and just so a comedy of errors occurred. Pedro blowing uh, the lead. Aaron Boone's walk-off, Bartman, Alex Gonzalez Bucknering a ball basically on a double play that could have changed the tide of both series. They had already did a documentary on HBO talking about the two fan bases, and you can tell they had Boston celebrities talking about, yeah, you hear Cubs fans deemed lovable losers, but if you called a Red Sox fan that, they'd punch you straight in the face.
1: I would believe that, honestly. I was afraid to wear New York stuff out there. They'd be like, oh, you're New York? Crack.
0: Yeah, fan bases change once they get championships. Sometimes they'll get arrogant, sometimes they'll get humble. All you can do is just look at Golden State fans and look at Capitals fans. Cats fans might be preoccupied.
1: Well, with Cats fans, it was a little more subdued celebration. I honestly thought it would be like almost Philly-like. Celebrating you guys won the
0: cup. What? Yeah, it was a very raucous crowd, and I think that's a very different team. It's the first team, not the Redskins, that's won a championship in exactly 40 years. And everybody got behind it. Everybody was sort of going into that Penguin series the way that Red Sox fans would go into the Yankee series prior to 04. That's sort of that, like, oh, here we go again. And then all right. of a sudden they turn it around, they take that big lead, and then they were thinking, okay, we finally done it. Normally, when that happens, either that boost is going to carry them all the way to the championship or they'll all of a sudden spend all the energy and just get knocked out in the next round, which almost happened with them against Tampa Bay.
1: That's exactly what I was thinking. And honestly, I thought this had a good chance to win. Like nobody saw that coming. I thought Vegas would actually win the cup. And that would have been a very interesting story. I think a little more interesting Then the Capitals winning after waiting about almost 50 years for a cup.
0: Yeah, that was a pretty good storyline. You have this team that's basically first year and add to it that their GM was a former Caps GM and against Washington, the team that had always kept getting so close but could never get over the hump. That was a very exciting Stanley Cup, and it was better than the NBA Finals. And I dare anyone, Golden State or Cleveland fan, tell me that it isn't, because it wasn't. Because the NBA Finals, basically, we were resigned to the fact that this was going to be a very ugly series, and it, hopefully it would be over in four games.
1: I'm more attention more to the Stanley Cup Finals. And I talked about this. I was like, all you people who got sucked up in the NBA Finals to see that, how'd you enjoy it? All four games wasted. The first game was just pure comedy. And then the three was just inevitable. We knew what was going to happen. The Stanley Cup, I always say the Stanley Cup playoffs are the most exciting playoffs other than the NFL. Because you have games that all it takes is one goal. like All it takes is a deflection of a puck and eight weeks are down the drain. I think that's more captivating because you can't predict the Stanley Cup final. Let me ask you something. When you saw the Stanley Cup final and you saw the NBA finals, did anyone think that the Stanley Cup final would have more games than the NBA finals?
0: Oh, yeah. I thought it was going to. Uh, whether it was going to be five, six, or seven, I already knew it was going to be more entertaining. I was just hoping that seven games would be perfect. Think about it. With baseball, there's been back-to-back seven-game World Series, and those games have been exciting. I remember 2016's World Series. That by itself was probably the most exciting game seven that I've seen in the past few years, just because the tie home run, then them going to extras and everything that occurred, the rain delay and just sort of building up the drama for it and it's cleveland oh. that was another story it's always funny everybody talks about you know golden state was up 3-1 oh. people forget that the indians lost in the most cleveland way possible being up 3-1 and blowing the lead to the cubs
1: it was like the world series of curses yeah i think it was more detrimental to golden state than to cleveland because golden state was quote unquote the best team ever They had 73 wins. They couldn't be stopped. And they choked. There's no way around it.
0: Yeah, and that's understandable. But think about, like you said, the curse of Cleveland, how basically their football team has won two Super Bowls, but it's in Baltimore. Cleveland almost was a non-choke away from basically having no rings. And the Indians have had bad luck going all the way back since the 50s when it comes to World Series.
1: With Cleveland, take all that away. For those two series, Golden State was a juggernaut. Cleveland was a feel-good story, but when a juggernaut is that good, you expect them to win. You don't expect them to blow a 3-1 lead into Cleveland of all teams. If they didn't choke, Kevin Durant would not be a warrior. I'm saying this right now. If they did not lose that finals, Kevin Durant would not be on the Golden State roster.
0: And if Oklahoma City didn't choke in that one game, Kevin Durant would probably not be a warrior either. Or maybe he would be a warrior just because they might feel like if you can't beat them, have them join you, which has become sort of that sentiment now in sports. If you can't beat them, join them. Or join up with somebody else who might have a better chance.
1: I think that's more the NBA because the NFL doesn't really pull that off. It's so much easier for the NBA to form super teams than the NFL or Major League Baseball because there's no really super team. either... Draft well, build them up from the bottom. You don't just have, like, everybody come to Houston or everybody come to Los Angeles, even though they're trying to.
0: Yeah, and it's true. Not everybody else can spend the money, but you live in a city where there's two big teams, and one of them basically was the only one that could take on Giancarlo Stanton's big contract because they're the Yankees.
1: I still think Jared Jeter, the CEO of the Mars, just basically gives you an MVP for nothing.
0: In that case, he actually has to live up to his MVP numbers.
1: Hey, it's hard in New York. We're the harshest critics. You know that saying: say? If you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. But if you don't, you know about it.
0: Switching on sports and going back to the New York City in general, with so many different team options in sports, it's basically Noah's Ark. It's two by two by two by two in all four of the major sports. And I guess MLS, there's two teams as well.
1: Yeah. What
0: led you to decide which team lines to go along with? You being a Jets, Mets fan is the biggest thing, because I assume you're a Knicks and Rangers fan, right?
1: Well, yeah, but it's weird if you're a Giants and Mets fan. It's weird if you're a Jets and Yankees fan. You can't be that. You have to be Mets, Jets, or Yankees-Giants. And for me, what I choose to be a Jets fan is because When I was younger, I always wanted to go to Giants Stadium. My grandfather was a Giants fan, but he wouldn't let me go. And I was really upset. I'm like, why can't you let me go? I want to see football. And that's probably why he told me a Jet fan, because it was just like that childhood moment. Like, oh, you won't let me go see the Giants, huh? Okay, I'll go for that team.
0: Yeah, it seems like a lot of people's fan choice are sort of based on family. I used to have a boss who is from Maryland. Father was a diehard Baltimore Colts fan. And basically, he ended up becoming a Chargers fan because one time it was Chargers against the Colts, and he was cheering for the Chargers. And then his dad said, that's it. Now you're a Chargers fan. To this day, he still is a Chargers fan. And it's very interesting that how something like that would have started all the way back by sort of being a bit contrarian, and now you sort of have to stick with that team forever.
1: Well, I kind of wavered when I was younger because back in 94, when the Knicks lost to the Rockets, I was crying my eyes out. I was just sitting in my room just crying. And for some reason, I started rooting for all Houston teams. It wasn't just the Rockets. It was the Astros. It was the WNBA Comet, The Oilers. Anything's... Were the Oilers back then? Yeah, the Oilers hadn't
0: left yet. Uh, They were like a year away from moving to Tennessee.
1: I just, overnight, that heartbreak, I took on the whole persona that I was a Houston fan. It was crazy. Every time someone asked me, hey, where you from? Houston. And... I used to love the Orioles, too, because my aunt lived in Silver Springs and the Washington Nationals weren't there yet. So I was like into Baltimore. I was into the Ravens. I actually went on a tour of M&T Bank, and I was just decked out in all the Ravens. And my mother just looked at me like, oh, dear Lord, what have I done?
0: I know what you're talking about. The way everything in New York sports is sort of divided, like into two separate parties. I would have thought, since you are a Jets and Mets fan, you would be an Islanders fan.
1: Yeah, I guess I wasn't because the Rangers were so close by, and I didn't really start following hockey until like years down the line. It was actually '94 when I started following. I saw the Rangers win the cup. I wasn't really into hockey. I just watched it and was intrigued. Uh Now that I see it, it was amazing. I was like, oh my God, all these stories. What was I missing all these years?
0: Sometimes, you know, it just takes one moment to just all of a sudden become a fan of something. Going back to you living in New York, I guess if you could say in a year, how many times do you end up attending maybe an event at Madison Square Garden?
1: Uh, Well, I couldn't really afford the Knicks prices. I mostly went there for the Liberty Games. And I believe I went to one Ranger game and about a handful of Liberty games at the Garden.
0: Being in New York, especially, it seems like it's a richer place. I mean, does it make it harder to take in sporting events? Being a Mets fan, it seems like it's easier to get a ticket to a Mets game, regardless if they're winning or losing, as it would be to go to a Yankees game because you see all those seats there are empty at Yankee Stadium. And it's hard to believe that, well, I guess it's easier to believe that It can be expensive trying to be a sports fan in New York.
1: Yeah, this is just like paying rent. And I'm thankful nowadays there's more ways to experience being a New York sports fan than before. Because before, we didn't have social media who had groups that, you know, a group of them go to the game. We didn't have no seven-line army. We didn't have groups on Facebook that go out to games and find the cheapest ones. No, we basically, if you can't afford it, you have to watch it on TV at home. We were too young to go to bars. I think nowadays it's easier than it was years ago.
0: And it's funny, I'm trying to make it a goal to go to all 30 MLB stadiums, and so far I'm at seven. The Northeast Corridor is probably the last bit to catch so Boston city field yankee stadium and just looking at it buying a ticket to a mets game seems extremely easier than buying just even a nosebleed seat in yankee stadium
1: it definitely is i've been to enough mets games like the last met game i went to uh a week or two ago i was on the baseline for only 20 bucks you can imagine where you get 20 bucks at yankee stadium section 500
0: i'm not even sure that even gets you in the yankee stadium We went to Chicago in May, and we visited three stadiums. We ended up going to Wrigley, we ended up going to Guaranteed Rate, and we ended up going to Milwaukee. And we bought a third baseline level seat in Milwaukee, probably for $35 a ticket. And the view was absolutely amazing. The only downside, of course, it being nearly the summer and being a retractable roof, you are right in the line of sight of the sun Until it gets darker or all of a sudden that the weather's bad, then they'll start closing the roof. Nowadays, going to live sporting events, it yeah. just seems like it can be a hassle. And I think that's a big problem. Either you deal with drunk fans, you deal with the ridiculous prices. Sometimes you can just be better off watching stuff at home. But sometimes you just really want to get that authentic experience.
1: Right. Actually, a group of friends of mine, every year we try to go to a different stadium. We were in Baltimore in 2015. The first time we did it was, was it 2014 or 13? We went to Nationals Park. That was our first group thing. And then 2014, one of our friends was pregnant, so couldn't really go anywhere. So 2015, we went to Camden Yards. 2016, we went to PNC. That is an amazing park right there. Last year, we did Dodger Stadium and AT&T. That's a a great park out there. You, You need to go out there and see it.
0: That'll probably be one of the later ones, especially try to hit a lot of the West Coast. Only got one on the West Coast, and that's Dodger Stadium. But eventually, the best thing to do probably hit the Northeast, get that out of the way. It'll be up to 10. And then hit the Southeast, Tampa, Atlanta, Miami. That'll be 13. And then the rest of the Midwest, then Texas, then Arizona, and then the rest of the West Coast. Yeah, I know you said you went to Cannon Yards in 2015. Were you there when Jim Brewer had his group of Mets fans? And, the 7-line
1: and and Army, Red- yeah, we had tickets for that.
0: Because I, I knew that I saw that Jim Brewer was in Baltimore. I'm like, And then I saw you were in Baltimore, and I'm thinking, I wonder... That yeah, had to be was, a pretty cool experience.
1: Oh, that was amazing. We we took a picture with them, and we had a Airbnb that was, like, right across the street from the stadium. So we just walked there. There was, like, a whole group of Mets fans circle around the bar area. It was a lot of fun that day.
0: And it's always interesting that when the Orioles are playing well – You know, sometimes it's hard for opposing fans to get tickets. But when they are playing badly, you'll have a lot of fans come down because it's more affordable. How much does a New York dollar stretch in Baltimore or Washington?
1: I think it would stretch more in Baltimore than Washington, honestly. Because Washington, they will sell out anything. I think just like Knicks tickets, it doesn't matter how good or how bad they are, they will sell out. The Wizards are doing good, they'll sell out. The Cavaliers are doing good, they'll sell out. The Redskins are doing good, you basically have to take tickets from someone else to get in.
0: Yeah, but the key word is if. And even then, it's funny when you say about the Nats fans, yeah, when they're doing well... Baltimore still shows up and uh, and ends up owning that stadium. And it's because I remember going to Nats Park. It was a sea of orange. It was probably 60-40 Orioles fans as opposed to the Nats fans.
1: Yeah, I can see that because it's like Baltimore was there for a lot longer than the Nats fans. And it seems like Nats fans are kind of wishy-washy. I hope I'm not offending any of them, but... I don't care. I'm a Mets fan.
0: I think a lot of Nats fans might be displaced Orioles fans. Hey, it's great to have a team in your backyard instead of having to make all the travel. And I can understand that travel is the biggest thing. But it's funnier for me. I'll take the hour trip from Delaware to Baltimore as opposed to the 40-minute trip to Philadelphia. I mean, maybe just a level of comfort.
1: Yeah, I think most of these fans is convenient fans. Oh, this stadium's right here rather than go out there? What a convenience.
0: Going back, I know earlier you mentioned you and your fiancé are fans of different teams. How does that end up working? How did that end up coming to happen? I guess because being in New York, you're going to have the odds where you're going to be a fan of one team and maybe a fan of the other. But are there any similar teams that you guys are fans of? And then how does that work dating and being fans of rival teams?
1: I like how you laughed when you was like, oh, God, this household is going to be hell. But it hasn't been as bad. Like, she's a fan, but she's not, like, a hardcore fan. Like, I think I'm more core than she is. I mean, we have a little side bet. Like, when the Giants and Jets played against each other a few years ago, the loser had to cook. Thank God I won, because I can't cook. Not that well. So, we both would have lost.
0: It Sort of sounds like Alien versus Predator. No matter who wins, we all lose.
1: Yep, pretty much. Alright, back to my, me and my fiance's battle of world i told her like listen if we have children i would love them to death until they say let's go yankees then they're your kids because it's not like a real house divided i think it will be if we have two i'm like listen can i at least have one that fan? you have one yankee fan and have it like that
0: feels like it would have to make you think you have to go to maury is this kid mine
1: yeah, because this kid's wearing a Yankee hat. I do not recognize him. He does not look like me. He's wearing pinstripes.
0: So moving on to subjects, going back to, I know we were talking about jersey collections, but do you collect any sports memorabilia?
1: I collect a few. I have mostly baseballs and bobbleheads I collected.
0: Are you big on autographs?
1: No, really, I never got them before, so like, you can't be big on stuff that you're not used to.
0: I can understand that. I feel like it depends on certain people. I know a friend who goes to autograph shows a lot and has a lot of autograph jerseys and, and collects a lot of autographs. And, you know, I guess it all depends. I know some people tend to not collect autographs of people that are younger than them. And we're starting to get that age where now basically everybody in most of the major sports are younger than us.
1: Yeah, it's just like mad creepy. Like, hi, I know you're only 18, but can I have your autograph?
0: The only person I probably want to autograph from would be Adam Jones. I already have an autograph ball that I won like a few years ago, but he's probably one of the few players that I can say I'm still truly a fan of just because, one, he plays for my team, two, he's one of the few black players in baseball. I was going through my head and trying to count 20 black players in baseball. I almost struggled doing that.
1: Yeah, I think it's because, you know, there's lack of interest in baseball for black players more than NFL. NFL You'll get noticed more. The NBA, you'll get noticed more. Major League Baseball, not really that much.
0: Yeah, and I think the NBA probably has sort of the best of both worlds. You'll get the big money contracts that you would get in baseball. You'll get the security, but you'll get the notoriety that you would in the NFL.
1: Right, because NFL, all they just see is the jersey number on your back.
0: Talking about earlier, talking about your granddad, who is a Giants fan. And there was a story you mentioned, you talked about a while back, about the Super Bowl when the Giants beat the Patriots. And it was not that long after your granddad's passing. And you were just talking about how that game, it was maybe a good omen, especially not that long after having your granddad pass at the time.
1: Yeah, that was probably one of the most emotional times I ever thought I would be for a Super Bowl. And the Jets were never in it. It was a nice game, and, you know, part of me was like, I wish he was here to see it, but I know he's seen it from a better place. And I mean, I was like, listen, my grandfather booted for this team and it meant a lot to him. So I could deck out, you know, giant stuff for him. I mean, I still have the same hat I wore from that Super Bowl in my car right now, you know, as a home to him.
0: Going back on that subject a little earlier, sports and sometimes families, there's that link that can be a big bond.
1: Oh, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's not like, well, for me and my grandfather, we only been to two games together. We went to a Yankee game together because of bleacher seats and they were cheap. And then we went to a Liberty game. Those are only two times I ever went to a sport event with him. And... It was nice, you know. Those are great times, you know, just sitting there enjoying the game with him. And I think it was like a closure because that's all I ever wanted when I was younger was to go sit at a game with him. And things may have been different. Maybe I would have been a Giants fan instead of a Jet fan. But I can't really, you know, look back. I mean, it is what it is now. I I still have semi respect for the Giants until they play the Jets. But there's always that part of me that wants to root. For the Giants, for him.
0: Yeah, sometimes it's just you just got to find that reason. As we start getting close to the tail end of our interview, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that you do some stand-up. How did you get into doing that? And really, what is that whole process like—getting on the stage and telling jokes, especially knowing that you sometimes you can deal with a tough crowd.
1: Well, I started first after college. It was just like some people said, you know, you make a lot of jokes around your friends. Some said, hey, you should try stand-up. And I was just like, eh, why not? I think stand-up comedy is like public speaking. Like, you have to get up in front of people. You don't know them. You just have to put your best foot forward and make something that will keep their attention. I've been doing it since I was younger. So I was just like, all you got to do is just make them laugh. And it's very hard to make people laugh because most of the time, you know, they're like hard to amuse. Like, you have to do something relatable to them or you have to talk about current events. It's just a long process. It's a lot harder than it looks.
0: How many times have you been on stage?
1: I've been on stage a good handful of times. Not like over 100, but I mostly did open mics 15 or 20 times.
0: Do you try to write stuff down? How do you just go sort of preparing that? Or do you just go off the top of your head?
1: Well, you try to you know do your research on what you can talk about. And then once a time, you jot down ideas like, okay, this is what's going on. What can I talk about this? Or... If you write down experiences and then try to see what would be funny about those experiences and you think back, it's like a mixture of both for me. I write down stuff, but also I remember so many experiences that relate to my stand-up set, and I think they're funny, and I would think other people would think, wow, that's a unique situation, and they would laugh at it.
0: In your mind, what do you think is more important when it comes to telling a joke? Is it timing or is it delivery?
1: I think it's a mixture of both. Like with public speaking, like you have to make sure they hear what you say. You have to deliver it with pizzazz. You have to make it stand out brighter than anything else. And it just has to click. Everything has to like work together. Recently, I just got back into it. I haven't done it in years. And my time was a little off. I was just throwing it out there, seeing if things could click and... I think, like, with everything, it takes practice. Especially if you can get to it, you need to work on your time end because they only give you a small window, like five, seven minutes. You got to work on how you space out your jokes and how much time you have left. You have to have, like, a mental clock. You're like, okay, I got two minutes. I got time enough to tell this quick story and be done.
0: If you had to choose, and I always think this is a good question because humor is subjective. Everybody has different types of humor. If you had to do a Mount Rushmore... Of comedians, past, present, doesn't matter what genre, who would they be?
1: Wow. Um, I would have to go Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, Dave Chappelle, and Chris Bach.
0: Hmm. Why those four? I'm always just curious about that.
1: Well, Chris Bach is more intellectual, and his comedy makes you think, too. I mean, like, for example, Kevin Hart, he just makes you laugh and laugh and laugh. But, you know, it's mostly about his personal experiences, and there's no knock against him. But Chris rock he makes you think about what's going on in the world, and he makes you laugh.
0: Like I said, everybody has theirs, and I'm always sort of waffling on my four because it can go in any direction. But if I were to say my four at this moment which probably could change in any hour, depending on really how you're feeling, because there's so many that could vie for that. My top four, one is George Carlin. I like George Carlin, I like Red Fox, I like Ronnie Dangerfield, and he might be, sort of be the interchangeable one, and I like Chappelle. And in some other times, I have Waiting in the Wings, I have Paul Mooney, I like Lavelle Crawford, those are two comedians I definitely like. And it's very sort of tough to choose but the Mount Rushmore is basically those four. Those are the four that you have to pick. To me, it's really hard to, I may interchange between maybe two of them, and you never know who it could be on a particular day.
1: Alright, let me ask you, Dave Chappelle's on both sides. Is that mainly because of his stand-up or because of what he did with the Chappelle show?
0: I had to compare it to Red Fox. I like Red Fox's stand-up, and Sanford and Son was funny too, but I think if we go solely on the stand-up I just go basically stand-up. I can recite a bunch of Chappelle stuff off the top of my head and a lot of other comedian stuff. But if you start adding in the TV stuff and movie stuff, it can be completely different because I feel like Chris Rock didn't get an opportunity to shine on Saturday Night Live. But, you know, some of his rare appearances in movies, they were all right. Like, I'm going to get you suck it. That's classic. And he ended up doing that uh, on In Living Colors, Cheap Pete, but... If we went solely stand-up only, because then there's plenty of other guys. like I think Tracy Morgan is funny on 30 Rock. I haven't seen the OG yet, but I don't know a stand-up. Maybe I'm assuming he's going to be like Tracy Jordan as opposed to Tracy Morgan. And like with Donald Glover, like he said, if you're expecting any of that community stuff, you're not going to get it, but he's very funny too.
1: Yeah, the same guy who made this and be like, oh yeah, he's funny. And then you see this video, it's like, what the hell?
0: Yeah, it's, it's one of the things. I always say humor is subjective. You could ask anybody. They're top four comedians. And sometimes people you would not expect would be on other people's list. With the Rodney Dangerfield one, his jokes were just so hit and run. And they were just such one-liners. They were just boom. And it, you'd still laugh. You get the visualization of, oh man, the fact that he gets no so respect that they'll, someone will invite him to a house for a surprise party and surprise was well, there's nobody home. That's what makes it so funny.
1: Exactly what I mean, the delivery. You know, anyone says that, it may not fly. But if he says that with delivery, it works.
0: Yeah, and I think that's another thing. You hear about everybody stealing jokes. And Carlos Messia was a big issue with stealing jokes. And I think they're talking about Dane Cook. And there's all of this talk about Amy Schumer stealing jokes. And sometimes some people can put it together with a different delivery But I feel like timing is more for, like, sketches and things like that, and delivery is more for when you're on stage, hot in the middle of the bright lights.
1: Oh, yeah, well, to each his own, you know. If you have a particular skill, you got to work with what you got.
0: Like I said, there's plenty of funny comedians, and maybe while they're not on the top four, there are plenty of ones that make me laugh. I like Fred Caliendo as well, just because of all of his impressions, especially when he was doing the football picks on the NFL and Fox. Some of those oh, impressions yeah. were just a lot of
1: them were dead on.
0: I know some people think impressionists aren't like a cheap form of comedy, but I also laugh at Triumph the Insult Comic Dog, so you never know.
1: Well, yeah, I think it's like those unique ones. You're not expected to laugh, but you end up laughing at it anyway.
0: Scott, I do appreciate all your help and participating in this. If people want to reach out to you, what's the best way they can catch up with you?
1: Well, back in my day, we had smoke signals, so you can just write out my name, and I'll figure out a way. But I really don't use, like, Instagram. Like, I'm not, like, Instagramming a lot. I'm on Instagram at DarkHawk30, or you can find me on Facebook like everyone else. It'd be Scott Johnson. It'd be kind of hard to find me, because there's, like, 80 of them floating around.
0: Probably the best help is just find the Scott Johnson with the New York Mets or Jets attire on. Oh, Scott, I do appreciate it. Thank you once again. And we got to do this again.
1: Oh, definitely.
0: I want to thank Scott for participating in this conversation. And I look forward to having him back on the show again. On next week's episode, my guest will be Linwood Outlaw. We'll talk about the NBA and the level of competition. To listen to some of our past episodes, go to thesportsrefuge.com or you can find them on Apple iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or Google Play. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening to the Sports Refuge Podcast. Have a good one. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge Podcast. Tune in next time for more interviews on sports, pop culture, and everything in between. For more information on the show, go to the Sports Refuge website at www.thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at The sports Refuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at
1: The Sports Refuge Sports Blog.